You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Before we get into the title of, uh, of my sermon this morning, just I guess just a quick recap of last week. Last week we had a great time at the team appreciation and glad for those who were able to make it out to that event. And again, we want to continue praising the Lord for those who continually serve amongst our, our community and those who are part of productions from uh, Connections, even uh, those who help lead worship. We praise God for your commitment to serve and, and your faithfulness to serve the kingdom of our Lord. In addition to that, last week we ended our first series of the year called Like Christ, in which we were trying to really discover what it means to be more like Jesus. A big theme that we have for uh, this year as a church community is that of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? And what does it mean, or how does it look like to, to make disciples of Christ? And so we went through this entire series to really discover how to be more like Christ in the day-to-day aspects of our church, in the mission of our church specifically. And sort of continuing on with that thought of what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ and, 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 and growing in our, in our walk with the Lord, we are starting today a new series called Get Into the Habit. Get Into the Habit. Of course, we all know it's a new year, 2023, and like we often do at the start of a new year, we make a lot of New Year's resolutions and try to do things differently than we did maybe in the past. And so this is a perfect time to restart or maybe even start to cultivate good habits or practices in our spiritual walk, to cultivate good spiritual disciplines that will help us in our, in our relationship with the Lord and, and in our walk with the Lord. And so in this series, Get Into the Habit, we'll be looking at four spiritual disciplines that we want to cultivate more in our church, specifically in prayer, in scripture reading, in church attendance, and of course, even giving. Now, when I say we want to cultivate these aspects in our church community, it's not that we don't have these things already, but we desire to grow deeper in them. Not, and again, it's not, the, it's not happening in our church, but we, we want to see how, how, how we can better ourselves uh, in this process of our, our, of our spiritual journey in these, in these spiritual practices. Uh, some, uh, and I think, even, I think a good uh, jumping point even on that is because maybe some of us, maybe last year, towards the end of last year or in the past year or so, maybe we've fallen off track in those practices of prayer, of Bible reading, or, 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 or even church attendance. And so our desire, is, our desire is, if you have fallen off track on those things, that you get back on track. And hopefully this series will help you put in some practical ways or practical steps to get back on track. And if you have been consistent, if you have been reading your Bible, if you have been praying uh, and you've been consistent in these spiritual disciplines, my desire is to also give to you, impart to you practical steps to maybe improve, maybe deepen those things. Because again, we're all, we're all in a stage of learning. There's never a point in our spiritual life where we stop learning, we stop growing. 
And the more that we can get to, to supplement our walk with the Lord, to supplement our growth in the Lord, I think it's all the more better for us. And so hopefully this ministers to you as well. This series is going to be very practical. It's going to be very uh, applicable to our day-to-day lives and 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 as much as we'll be talking about um, sort of these spiritual practices and how to get into the habit of things, uh, we also want to talk about the spiritual side of it. Because oftentimes when we, when we, when we say the word habit, the thought comes to mind, isn't, isn't it bad to, to make something habitual, right? Especially when it comes to the practices of the faith. Or make something ritualistic in a sense. Because oftentimes when something becomes habitual or ritualistic, we automatically tune into the idea that it's no longer authentic becomes insincere. Well, yes, to some degree, if there's no sincerity in our acts of worship, in our Bible reading, in our prayer, then yes, then it becomes very robotic. It becomes sort of, uh, sort of something that we just end up doing. But it's also why we'll, we'll be talking about the condition of our hearts as we practice these things, these disciplines. The proper mindset that we are to have when we pray, when we read scripture, and when we come to church, and when we give. Oftentimes, it's when the heart is absent that the habit is vacant. And what we want to do is is reinforce where our hearts and our minds ought to be when we practice these disciplines. As much as we'll address the, the practices of our hands, we will also address the posture of our hearts. Does that, does that sound okay to you, church? Yes? Now, here's a big thing that we want to do as well with this series. A big challenge, and I'm going to follow up on the life group leaders about this. If you're plugged into life groups, uh, we'll, we'll, we're, we're, we're going to have a little challenge that we can follow up in, in this. According to uh, the brain people, psychologists, sorry, the psychiatrists, the psychologists, right, it takes 66 days, 66 days to develop a new habit. And so in this talk about, uh, uh, you know, get into the habit of whether it's praying or Bible reading, I want to challenge us, church. I want to challenge our community as a church to faithfully pursue these spiritual disciplines that we're going to be talking about for the next 66 days consistently. Straight. No diverging, no falling off the wagon, so to speak. But for 60 days, 66 days straight, I want us in our day-to-day lives and in our individual lives to practice prayer, reading scripture, going to church, and of course, giving. Does that make sense so far? 66 days. If I did my math correct, right, and I'm no mathematician, right, after 66 days, it'll be Easter 2023. We'll have, in, we have, we'll have ingrained into our daily lives practices, these, these spiritual practices that would help us develop in our walk with God, help us grow and bear fruit in our walk with God. But listen, this needs consistency. It needs effort. It needs a fight from us. It, it, that's why it's a challenge, right? That's why I want to challenge you, church, so that we're not just taking in all this information and like, okay, this is great stuff, but to truly put it into practice so that we can see our church grow and flourish in those spiritual disciplines of prayer, reading the word, church attendance, or rather church participation, uh, and of course, giving. You can't take this challenge haphazardly. It's the same dedication that you would need to give if you were ever going to, uh, or going to school or a job or, or taking up a hobby or working out maybe. That The same dedication needs to be implemented into these spiritual practices. 
in order for us to actually de- or for us to actually cultivate some fruit in these practices. Um, and, and listen, for those who, who, who don't really see the weight of this, I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you want to see breakthrough in your life, if you want to see your relationship with your, your wife and your kids flourish, if you want to see fruit in, in the way that you, you meet with God and serve God here at the church even, then, then I assure you, these spiritual disciplines you, you absolutely need in your life. You absolutely need to cultivate in your life. So that's, that's a challenge, okay? 66 days, church, until Easter. Is, does that sound good? Yes? I, I feel like some people are like, oh, well, we'll see as the Lord leads. But 60, and again, I'm going to check up on the life group leaders, make sure that you guys are checking up on each other and make sure that you guys are on track with this. So 66 days to get into the habit. So the first spiritual discipline that we'll be talking about today is prayer. So everyone say, get into the habit of prayer. Prayer. Prayer is a crucial, crucial part of our spiritual walk with God. It is impossible, absolutely impossible, to grow as a Christian in your relationship with the Lord if you do not pray. A faith without prayer is like a marriage without talking or conversation. And husbands, I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. If your wife has ever said, we never talk anymore, this is what I'm talking about. And then if your response is, but we just talked about that Korean drama show that you like, that's not enough. It's never enough. Uh, But listen, it's the same thing when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. If you are not praying, then it is similar to having no conversation or no dialogue in in your marriage. It's so integral to the Christian walk that, again, you cannot cultivate your relationship with Christ without it. Next week, we'll be talking about scripture reading and getting to the Bible and how to study that. But Bible reading and scripture, or Bible reading and prayer go hand in hand. It's how we commune with God. Bible reading is hearing from God. Praying is speaking to God. So we must pray. Especially, as we mentioned, if we want to see victory from trials and temptations. If we want to have peace and hope despite whatever circumstances we might face in this life, we must pray. Remember what Jesus challenged his disciples when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when he was about to be arrested. He says, to, he says to his disciples, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. In, in, in the letters of Paul, in the book of Ephesians, when he's talking about the armor of God and, and the, the, the pieces of our faith that, we, that is necessary in order to quench the fiery arrows of the enemy, to, to fight in temptations, to, 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 to defend or to be able to endure in trial. He says this, look at this, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. He says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In the list of the things that Paul gives us to defend ourselves in the book of Ephesians, the list of the armor of God, he only gives two weapons, two two offensive equipment for us to use in our, in our endurance here in the world. That is the word of God and prayer. Praying for each other. 
Prayer is essential because it's how we draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, as the book of Hebrews says, so that we might receive mercy and help in our time of need. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says, to pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to, ga- and to gather riches out of an inexhaustible storehouse. That's what happens when we pray. So listen, believer, if you are not play- praying on a consistent basis, on a daily basis, basis, you need to pray. You are missing out on the grace that you can have, the help that you can have from God on a day-to-day basis if you are not praying. So now the question, that, that's, so, so that's sort of the foundation of how we understand what prayer is, but now the question is, how do we pray? And I think that is a good question if we're talking about practices of prayer and getting into the habit of that. Because, uh, you know, again, there are some bad habits out there. Some bad habits of when it comes to prayer. Maybe some insincere habits when it comes to prayer. And so that's what our passage talks about and, and, and the, 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 what Jesus is answering in our passage this morning. Everyone say, uh, um, Everyone say context. I'm going to do something different this year. Everyone say context. Because if you don't have the context of a passage, then you can get very much lost and you come to your own interpretation. And so in our passage this morning, we're going to get into the context of it. It's Matthew chapter 6. This is the second part to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount that starts in Matthew chapter 5 is this great sermon that Jesus tells to a group of, or not just a group, but a mass of people, and in which he is really turning on the head, the, the, the mindsets or the understanding that people already had. He said, it's not an eye for an eye, but rather love your neighbor, turn the other cheek. He says, if you've already committed, if you've, if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. He says, it's the poor in the spirit who will inherit the earth. All of these things that were sort of, that was contradictory to the, to the normal understanding that the people already had. And so it comes to our passage. He gives more practical advice, more teaching. And in this specific passage that we read this morning, he's teaching us how to pray. And there's a pattern to how he teaches us. He first, he lists out what you're not supposed to do. Then he says what you're supposed to do. Then he lists out again what you're not supposed to do. And then he goes into uh, what you are supposed to say or, or rather an example of what to pray. So there is a pattern, a specific pattern that Jesus gives. So let's go into our passage. Let's look into it. Verse 5 once again. He says, And when you pray, you must not pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now this is very interesting. The, the word hypocrites in the original Greek is hypocrites, which actually meant actors, actors. So if you ever wondered why, you know, the people in Hollywood are the way they are, because they're hypocrites according to uh, ancient Greek. Uh, but it's so interesting because this word hypocrites, actors, uh, or describe what actors are, there was somebody who played or had two faces, essentially, in ancient Greek theater. If you didn't know, before I went into Tyndale to do my Bible, uh, you know, uh, program, I was supposed to go to York University as a theater student to do performing arts, right? Um, had a whole scholarship and everything. Um, obviously, I didn't go, right? <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, we... That, that, we, we understood that, at least in ancient Greek society, actors, thespians in, in ancient Greek societies, the way they acted was they had masks. 
right? These physical masks that they would put on whenever they're playing a different character. And so this word uh, Hippocrates, or where we get hypocrisy from, uh, hypocrites from, referred to them in the sense that they were, they were ones who, who, who were playing two parts, dual roles, where their exterior didn't actually reflect the interior. They were saying one thing, but they were believing another thing, or they were, they were, they, they were doing a different thing behind the scenes. And so Christ uses this word actually three times in Matthew chapter 6, referring to um, these hypocrites in verse 2, in verse 5 in our passage, and in verse 16. Now, I think the natural conclusion from this is that you'd connect it straight to the Pharisees. But more so, this refers to the unregenerated, the faithless individual who, who says one thing but does another. And, and, and really has no faith in what they are doing or even uh, demonstrating. It's either they, they don't actually trust God, and it's all just an exterior, it's all just for show, or it's all for personal glory. And Jesus even touches on this. And look at verse 5 again with me. He says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. That's the reason why they pray in public. That's the reason why they show this exterior of, of, of holiness, just so that people would see them and respect them and honor them. Jesus talks about how they like to pray in synagogues and on street corners. In ancient Jewish society, if you're part of a community, you're also part of a synagogue, the local place of worship. And, and it was an honor, it was a privilege to be called upon to pray for your community, to pray for your people. It showed that you were educated, that you weren't just some uh, sort of a, 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 a handyman or a fisherman, but you were actually trained by a rabbi, a disciple of a rabbi, if you were called on to pray. It showed that you had a position in the community. You had some sort of authority, some sort of status. And so it was a privilege for these people to pray in public. But again, it was all for their glory. It was also that they could be recognized. People wanted to pray for the wrong reasons. And so this is the first idea that we get from Jesus about what it means to pray. First and foremost, when praying, avoid seeking public commendation. When praying, avoid seeking public commendation. Again, it's not necessarily just the Pharisees that, that Jesus is referring to when he talks about the hypocrites here, but we do see in the Gospels that he does connect the dots. In, in Mark chapter 7, when the Pharisees are criticizing the disciples of Christ or hanging out with sinners, Jesus himself says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy to you hypocrites, as it is written, this, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In Matthew chapter 23 alone, seven times Jesus calls out the Pharisees. Seven times he says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Seven times he says this. In, in, one, in one verse of that, Matthew 23 verse 27, he says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It was the religious leaders, just, they, they, they were just out there for the title, for the respect, for the position, for the places of honor. 
They, they, they were the ones who would say all these nice niceties and pleasantries for the sake of looking good and, and righteous in the eyes of men. When really, as Jesus describes them, they were dead inside. Their words were empty. No, there was no connection between their mouth, what their mouth was saying, and their heart. This is an example, and again, this is, this is what it means, or this is what Jesus was referring to with, with these, hip, these hypocrites who were going out and praying in public. We actually get a, sort of an example of what kind of prayer these Pharisees were praying in Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Look at that with me. Luke chapter 18, verse 10, it says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Listen to what the Pharisee prayed. Listen to this, verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Thank you, Lord. I mean, the hubris in that prayer, right? It's, that, it's that, that the kind of prayer that... that that boasts about himself, praises himself in the prayer. Like, you're talking to the God of the universe, holy, 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 and you think you can boast. You, can, you think you can brag about your accomplishments. We also see that he's comparing himself to others. I'm thankful. Thank you, God, that I'm not like these, this, this tax collector, this sinner. And, of course, he lists out his own accomplishments, and no doubt, because it says that he's praying in the temple, he's saying this out loud for others to hear. Imagine if, you're, if you heard that, that man praying one day, and it's like, wow, this guy, amazing. But again, this is the kind of prayer that Jesus says is coming from a dead man. Now, as ridiculous as this, this prayer is, it's not so far removed from some of the motivational churches and what they ask people to pray, or what they encourage people to pray. Um, listen to this, um, listen to sort of this prayer or this declaration from one of these famous churches that we all maybe have heard of. <coughs> um, it says, excuse me, pardon me. It says, I will make no excuses, but through every obstacle I will find a way. I will not procrastinate my progress. I will not defer my destiny. I will not waver when I'm weak. I will not cower when my circumstances take a turn for the worse because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world I will fight. Lots of I will statements there. Here's another one from um, another prayer or declaration that they have. I'm stronger I'm better, it's settled, I'm ready, I'm focused, I'm hopeful, no hiding, I'm ready. All I statements. The focus is on him or her, on the individual. Utter hubris involved. To make oneself the focal point of our prayers. Again, when you're talking to the holy of holies, the, the holy, holy, holy God of the universe, and you're bragging about yourself, what you deserve, what you have accomplished, who you are. It's why Jesus says in our passage, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Because, sure, they will receive their praise from man. Sure, they will receive the, the, uh, the, the, the 
the acknowledgments and the affirmation from man, but not from God. They will receive no commendation from God. And I think this is a good place to reflect in our own prayers. When we pray, who's at the center? Who's at the focal point of our prayers? We're going to talk about this a little more towards the end, but it's why when Jesus starts the, that, that famous prayer there, the, 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 our Father who art in heaven prayer, he starts with, hallowed be your name. Because the focus point there, the, the focus point there is that we, he is asking God to be hallowed, not just in the, in, 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 our, in the world around it, but specifically in the heart. God, elevate yourself in my eyes, in my heart, in my mind, so that you are hallowed, so that you are holy, holy, holy. That's why Jesus starts it that way. Ask yourself, when you pray, who is at the focal point? Who is at the center of your prayers? When we, when we pray, avoid seeking public commendation. But rather, in fact, Jesus goes, goes, on to, goes on to explain what we should do instead. Verse 6 of our passage, look at that with me. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, your Father who's who sees in secret, will reward you. Here's the second thing we need to understand when, when we pray. When praying, attempt sincere and private conversation. Attempt sincere and private conversation. Jesus says to pray in private, to go to your room. And in, uh, in ancient times, there was something called a, a prayer closet that you could go to and just, just by yourself and the Lord speak and commune with one another. Now, just a quick note about this. He's not condemning congregational prayer. There's a difference there. Congregational prayer and what these Pharisees and these hypocrites were doing is not the same. When God's people come together to corporately seek Him, to, 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 to ask for His mercy and grace, for His favor, to intercede on behalf of a community, on behalf of, of some sort of crisis, that's okay. We see examples of that in the Old Testament and God's people came together collectively and prayed together with one heart, with one voice, asking for forgiveness of sin, asking for mercy from the Lord. That's okay. Congregation, congregational prayer is okay. It's, it's, it's when, you know, again, and when, we, when someone on behalf, whether it's myself or someone else on this stage or this platform, prays on behalf of our church community for the, mercy, the mercies of God, that's that's not what Jesus is condemning in this passage. This is speaking again about personal and individual prayer. To not do it out in public for the sake of glory so that you would be praised by man, but rather do so in private. Again, in, in, traditionally, you were to go into your room and, and shut the door. In the Old Testament, we see examples of this. In, in the book of Daniel, we see the prophet Daniel. He goes into his room and, sh- and, he, and he prays in his room despite the, whatever circumstances he was in. We see in 2 Kings, the, the prophet Elisha had a specific room built for him, a, a prayer closet just for him to go to and pray. Even Jesus throughout the Gospels, we see he, in multiple times after some great miracle, after some great event, he would go away from his disciples, isolate himself just to pray with the Father. In the same way, we are to seek, private, we are to seek privacy when we pray. And, and note that the point here is to attempt sincere and private conversation with the Lord. 
The word attempt, I specifically use attempt there because sometimes we don't have that opportunity, especially parents, right? Sometimes, almost every day, there's a kid glued to your leg. How are you going to find some privacy to pray? It's hard to find privacy sometimes when, you have, when, when life is very busy and you're always with people. And so praying in the silent, praying in, in your mind, in, the, in, your, in your heart is just as good. Reason, and, and listen, it's important for us to seek out privacy when we pray because privacy fosters honesty. And honesty fosters sincerity. Privacy fosters honesty and honesty fosters sincerity. Three, let me give you three words here to describe how these private prayers ought to look like. Number one, intentionality. These private prayers ought to be intentional. If you go out of your way just to find a place, seclude a place, so that you could just, so that you could just talk to your Heavenly Father, it shows intentionality. It shows that you're going out of your way just to seek and speak with the Lord. Secondly, it's, it shows Intimacy. Right? A conversation, it's that conversation that you're having with the Lord of prayer is just between you and your heavenly Father. Note, by the way, in our passage, when Jesus says, in, again, in verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This wording that Jesus is using is very strange if you were if you were a Jewish citizen in ancient times. Because as much as the Jewish people prayed, it would never be, they would never call God Father directly. They would say Adonai or Elohim, other words or other names of God. But to specifically call God Father, this was intimate. This was Jesus encouraging people to pray to God as if he is your heavenly Father, as, in, as if he is your Abba Father. It's definitely strange to the people, but that's, that's the point of going away in private just to speak with God in the privacy of, of, your, of, of, of just between you and Him. It shows intimacy with Him. You can be open and frank with God. Just have a conversation. Just talk. Be honest about your sin and weaknesses with God. Knowing that there isn't other people sort of listening in and and this, or wanting to judge you or ready to judge you as a result of being honest. Finding privacy with the Lord cultivates intimacy. And lastly, it cultivates integrity. It keeps you from the temptation of wanting to be recognized for the way that you pray and the words that you speak in your prayer. It keeps you from making it about yourself, right? It keeps you from boasting so that others would hear it. Intentionality, intimacy, integrity. Privacy fosters honesty, and honesty fosters sincerity. So, church, attempt sincere and private conversation. Just to note, uh, we talked about Daniel a little bit in, in this, and he was a man of integrity. Interesting enough, if you go through the book of Daniel, there's no record of him doing any wrong. And I think there's a clue to that because it says, it says at the beginning of his, of his book is that he prayed three times a day. He prayed three times a day. Even again, despite, um, the, despite the king making a new law about, uh, about people only praying to him, he still prayed. Ask yourself, how many times a day do you pray? And I'm not talking about, you know, your 
you know, your, your prayers before a meal, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Not that. Where you, you intentionally get up, again, seek privacy with the Lord and just pour out your heart to him. Praise him. Declare his goodness. Declare how holy he is. How many times a day do you pray? You know, I, I'm always convicted when, we, when I see Muslims pray three times a day. And at specific times of the day, regardless of what they're doing, even at work, they'll drop what they're doing, get on the ground, and start praying. These, these are Muslims praying to a false god. How much more us believers who have truly experienced the goodness of God, who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who have a, an eternal relationship with him. If, that's, if that does not convict us that the pagan is praying more than us, I don't know what would. Paul even says, right, First Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 16, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This pray without ceasing doesn't mean continually, but rather persistently and regularly. It's a constant mindset of being in prayer, of conversing with God. Pray without ceasing. Let's go to our last, uh, our, our last point here for this morning before we get into some practical points. When praying... Avoid saying prayers without conviction. When praying, avoid saying prayers without conviction. Look at verse 7 with me. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now there is a, there is a parallel to this passage of, of, of Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. It's in Luke chapter 11. And and. It go, and it actually goes into detail as what Jesus is talking about here because Jesus isn't talking about the idea of, of repetitive prayer in persistence, in continually seeking God over a concern, over a crisis. He's not talking about that. In fact, in, again, in that parallel, parallel passage, Luke chapter 11, he even gives this parable about the persistent neighbor. After teaching his disciples how to pray, he talks about this persistent neighbor who, who kept going to his neighbor asking for bread. So persistence in prayer is welcome. It's even rewarded as that passage uh, communicates and demonstrates. Because persistence in prayer communicates a conviction, a sincerity in your prayer, a faith in your prayer. What Jesus is actually drawing comparison to in back in Matthew chapter 6 is the mantras and the ritualistic prayers that are being said by pagans over and over and over again without conviction. It's, it's, it's a prayer of persistent prayer versus the, the prayer that is just repetitive, that's repeated over and over again as he says that um, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. The, pa- the prayer of the pagan Their faith is in the fact that if they pray X amount of times, then God will hear them. If they pray a certain amount of times, a formulaic prayer, a certain type of prayer, then 
God will hear them. Again, ritualistic. These are the mantras. These are repetitive. There's no faith in that. There's no faith in the fact that even after you pray once, God hears you at the first time. That's why Jesus says, even at verse 8, he says, Do not be like them, the Gentiles who pray like that, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. There's a faith requirement, a conviction requirement when we pray. We are to pray with conviction, with confidence that the Father does indeed hear us. That we can indeed find help in our times of trouble. That he does incline his ear to us like a loving father to a child. Like James says in, 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 his, in, his, in his letter, he says, Ask in faith without, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We are to ask in faith, to have conviction when we pray. Again, this relates back to the hypocrites and their empty words. They were saying one thing, declaring one thing with their lips, but internally they believed something else. Maybe they weren't even believing altogether. It's, again, declaring the truths of God and, 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 and saying his praises in public. But the question is, do you actually believe what you're saying? Do you actually believe what you're praying? Do you actually have faith and confidence that the God of the universe actually hears you and cares for you when you pray? Again, that's why Jesus' focal point in verse 8 is your Father in heaven already knows. Your Father in heaven already knows what you are going to ask. And by the way, in case, you know, sometimes we, the reason why we doubt and we lose faith when we pray and why it's never sort of our first priority when it comes to crisis is because sometimes I think we, we get discouraged when we think that God hasn't answered our prayers. Or that God maybe is delaying from answering our prayers. The Bible assures us that God does indeed answer every prayer. Every prayer. Three answers he gives. Yes, no, and wait. And sometimes we get discouraged when his answer is always wait. <laughs> But that's part of the whole the faith aspect, the conviction aspect, that even if God says, wait to us, that we can still trust that his timing is best. That, he, that we can still trust that he is sovereign, that he still has a plan. God answers every prayer. So avoid saying prayers without conviction. So now having set those boundaries in our passage, Jesus gives an example of how we should pray. And note that he says in verse 9, uh, pray then like this. He doesn't say pray this. This is a structure. This is a way that you can pray. Pray like this. That's the point that Jesus wants to make. And of course, the great prayer, um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us into it, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So now some practical um, methods uh, from that. I want to draw from this great prayer that Jesus um, gives to us as an example and so that we can have some maybe step-by-step -step, uh, method in, which how we, in how we pray. And you can write this down. 
Write this acronym down. Maybe you've heard this before. ACTS, A-C-T-S. ACTS, the A in there stands for adoration. Again, Jesus starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The declaration there is, God, be hallowed in our hearts, be hallowed in our world, be hallowed, made, made holy, perceived holy in our minds, in our hearts, in our community, in our world. Hallowed be your name. He's declaring the praises of God that God, in fact, is holy, holy, holy. He's not boasting about his accomplishments. He's not pointing to his own worth or whatever it is. He starts simply by declaring the holiness of God. The C there, sometimes people will use confession, but I like to use contrition. Forgive us. We've seen that, that example that Jesus gives. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Contrition. And I want, I want to use the word contrition because contrition reflects a grieved heart. A heart that truly understands and is convicted by one's own sin. And so it's not just merely confessing to the Lord, yes, I've done this, I've done wrong, but truly understanding that we have fallen short of God's glory, contrition. This is, by the way, when we talk about acts and this method, this is a good sort of formula or process to go by. Start with adoration, second start with confession or contrition, then go into thanksgiving. Before you start asking God for anything, maybe thank Him for what you already have. Because thanksgiving always changes our perspective. If we are coming to God because maybe we, 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 we don't have something that we really want or something that we really need or we're, pray, we're praying because we have, we're in a crisis, thanksgiving shifts our focus to understand that, to, to see the things that we already have in the Lord, the things that we can praise God for. So thanksgiving is very important. Then finally, supplication. That's when we ask. That's when we, when, that's when we can request from the Lord. After all of that, after declaring his praises, adoring God, and confessing our sin, thanking the Lord for everything that he's done, then we should ask. Then we should bring our supplications to him. Ask and you will receive as the scripture says. And it's also, this mind you, right, as we conclude our, our prayer, we always pray in Jesus' name. That's really important to contextualize what we ask for. Because when we pray in Jesus' name, we are declaring to the Father that we are asking for these things, the things I just prayed for, on behalf of Christ. So listen, unless Christ has put it on your heart to pray for, you know, a Lamborghini or whatever fancy car, don't pray for that. When you're praying in Jesus' name, you're declaring to the Father that the Holy Spirit has placed these requests on my heart to pray for, these needs to pray for, that these needs are glorifying to you. Therefore, I'm praying it in Jesus' name because it's in line with the will of the Savior. So be careful what you declare in Christ's name. To be sure, to be actually sure that it is in the will of Christ. So ACTS, Adoration, Contrition or confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. In closing here, again, prayer is essential to the Christian faith. If you are not praying every day, I would not be surprised to see your walk with God languishing. 
if you are not bearing fruit in the Savior? Because how can you, again, how can you say that you are in a relationship with the Savior, with the Father, if you're not talking to Him? If you want to see breakthrough, if you want to have hope and peace in whatever trials that you're going through in this life, I, I urge you to pray, to commune with the Father. Again, I, I challenge you, church, for the next 66 days to get into the habit of praying consistently, every day. If you want to see victory from temptations, if you want to have more peace, more patience for the people around you, then bring your concerns, bring your heart's desires to God. And if you're struggling, if there is a crisis in your life, whether it's a result of sin or just the circumstances of life, The Bible says that we are to come to God in confidence to his throne of grace and receive help in our time of need. Because he, in fact, does care for us. And if you're thinking, you know, 66 days of prayer, Pastor Ian, I don't know what to pray for. Ask your brother and sister what to pray for. Listen, There's plenty of us in this room with numerous amounts of issues and crisis and trials that we're going through. You'll have a limitless supply of things to pray for for 66 days. You know, I I absolutely delight and, and see it as a privilege to pray for the individuals of our church on a consistently on a consistent basis, on a day to day basis. It's a joy, it's a delight, because I know that when God answers that prayer, I can celebrate with them. I can be, I I, I, I know that, you know, that I was part of the group of people that was praying for them day in and day out, interceding on their behalf for the Lord. That is a privilege, a delight that we all should cherish. Pray for others. After, after, you know, we close and, you know, we often have time of um, reflection and I'm off to the side praying, I want to encourage you, church, to pray for one another. Ask God to put someone on your heart today to pray for them. Get into the habit. Let it start today. To the lost, for those who do not know Christ as their Savior, there's only one prayer that you need to pray. In Luke chapter 18, that parable about the tax collector and the Pharisee, after the Pharisee has gone and declared all his glories and boasted about his accomplishments. In verse 13, it says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you do not have a relationship with Christ this morning, that is the only prayer that you should be praying. Not for anything else, but simply for the mercies of God to save you, to redeem you, to forgive you of your sins. If you desire help in knowing how to do that, to go about that, again, after our time here, I'll be off on the side and I would love to pray with you through that. Now to the found, to believers, it's interesting how our passage closes in verse 14 
it says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. What Jesus is talking about here is that someone, has, someone who has truly been forgiven by God, who has reconciled their sin to the holy God, who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ, will indeed forgive others. Will indeed know the treasure and the privilege of forgiveness and receiving mercy and extend that grace and mercy and forgiveness to others. For believers, this is why we come and gather around the Lord's table. Why we hold communion. To commemorate the blood that was spilled for us, the body that was broken for us, that we might receive forgiveness, but, have, but also have access to the throne of grace in our prayers so that we could have confidence to actually pray and cry out to God and know that He hears us. It's only by the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.